This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to Socially Supportive, where you'll hear the hottest insights and discover cutting-edge technology as we take you behind the scenes with the latest authors, top executives, and industry thought leaders. This is Customer Care the Social Way with your host, Frankie Sochet. Episode 164 of the Socially Supportive Podcast is brought to you by Bluehost. The best web hosting for just $3.95 a month, Bluehost is the number one recommended web hosting service by WordPress.org. Every account features one-click WordPress installation. Plus, Bluehost's trained in-house experts are there to help 24-7. Their robust help center includes guides, video tutorials, and more. You can try them and love them or get a refund within 30 days of signing up. Your satisfaction is their top priority and they're confident you'll be pleased with their services. So head on over to sociallysupportive.com and click the Bluehost picture today for more information. Hello, Social Pack. Welcome to this week's topic, which is community. I am bringing you the best episodes that we have had around community and why it should be an integral part of your digital and social customer care strategy. Community has a huge return on investment, both monetarily and relationship-wise with your customers. From a monetary perspective, the return on investment cannot be beat because you have your customers and your fans doing the work that would normally be done by your employees. Rather than controlling the entire interaction, your employees can just be reviewing and marking answers as authorized or verified by your company. And also customers get to discuss topics with other customers around your goods and services that you provide. This creates a feeling of, you guessed it, community, and it creates a positive brand image with your products and services and positive memories around your brand name. So this week is all about bringing back to you the best episodes that we've had on community. And the reason I want to bring them back to you is twofold. Number one, because more and more companies could really benefit from having community as part of their program. And the other reason is because when I created the Socially Supportive Podcast, I did so because I wanted to make sure that leaders of digital and social customer care, large companies around the globe, had right at their fingertips answers to information that they were seeking. You know, there's a lot of information available about customer experience, about social media marketing, about customer care in an old-fashioned call center setting, but there has really historically not been a whole repository of information around how to develop and deliver digital and social customer care for your organization. And you're busy, and I'm busy, and I don't want you to have to dig through 160 episodes to get back to something that might be of high interest to you right now. And community should be of high interest to you right now. So I am bringing to you this week episodes about community that you need to know to run your digital and social customer care program. So let's check them out. Today's inspiration comes to us from Ian Schaefer, who said, innovation needs to be part of your culture. 
Customers are transforming faster than we are, and if we don't catch up, we're in trouble. And our book of the day is by Jeff Howe titled Crowdsourcing, Why the Power of the Crowd is Driving the Future of Business. So what are we talking about today? Well, today we are talking about private groups inside the intelligent community. And we have a very special guest who's going to help explain this to us. So who's today's guest? Well, he's a senior solutions advisor at Telligent, a variant company, and prior to joining Telligent as a professional services consultant and project manager in August of 2008, he spent a couple years working in interactive advertising and marketing with a focus on social media. Before that, he spent more than a decade at a global financial services company where he first learned the value of social computing tools in the enterprise where he and a colleague put together a set of blogs, forums, and wikis to better enable collaboration among project teams in Dallas and St. Louis. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you Jim Gross. Jim, it's so great to have you on the show today. Hi, Frankie. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's so great that we were able to get together and get this scheduled up right before the holidays, because I don't think I've seen you. We haven't seen each other since we were in New York City for the Insight Group's Customer Service Summit, right? That's right. Yeah, at the hotel there in Brooklyn. And it was always great to meet our customers and and talk with people. Uh, Normally, I'm on the phone, and it's always good to see people uh, face to face. Yeah. And did you have such a great time at the event? I think it was the first year that Telligent has been there. Is that right? Uh, As far as I know, yeah. I'd never been before. And I don't think John had either. Uh, John Allen and I were there together. Definitely a first for the two of us. Yeah, I have told people on the podcast that it was going to be such a fantastic event and that I was going to have a booth there. And I promised them that if they went, it would totally be worth their time and money to go to this event because there are so many great companies and thought leaders and technology that's available there for you to take a look at and understand how it could help your company. And that's exactly why we asked to have our booth placed right next to you. Yay. Oh, that was so much fun. It was really a good time. And so today, speaking of technology, I asked you to come on and give us a little bit more information about this feature that you've got where you can have private groups inside the intelligent community. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And so let's take it up a level and talk about groups more generally, right? So in a community you can have any number of groups. And I like to think of them as micro communities. So if you think of your community as one overarching, one umbrella organization, underneath that, you can have dozens, as many as you like, different groups that represent perhaps different regions of of the country or the world. You could have groups that represent different products or different use cases. Uh, For example, you might have a support group or you might have a product information or documentation group. It's it's really up to you on how you set these up. And so again, that's why I like to refer to them as micro communities. And as such, each group can have its own membership, which can also manage access to the content. So what we have in Intelligent Community are five different group types. And really, there are two major group types, public and private. And then within there, we have different flavors of each. So for example, there are joinless groups, which are truly open spaces. There are public groups that can be open or closed. And the difference there is whether or not your request to join the group has to be approved. And then we have two different private group types, listed and unlisted. 
So a listed private group is discoverable, but not accessible to non-members. So in other words, I can see a private listed group in the navigation or in search results, but until I ask permission to join that private group and get accepted, I, I won't be able to read any of the content inside of it. And then we also have the private unlisted group where we'll spend most of today's focus, which is essentially an invitation-only group type. I wouldn't even know a private unlisted group exists unless and until somebody invites me into it. See, and I think that is so fantastic. And that's why I was so glad that we were able to kind of hone in and focus on it today. So as we're talking about with the audience, we've got the public type of environment, and then you've got the private type of group environment. So there's what you said was joinless and a join group, right? That's the technology that you used for it. Right. We like to call it joinless and join full. So oh, joyful. Really, That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> you like it. that? Yeah, it's almost like joyful, but like joyful. So a joinless group has no concept of members, right? right? You have an owner of a joinless group who controls the content mix and the look and feel. Uh, but other than that, it is a truly open space. Anybody can come into a joinless group. Whereas the public group types, or actually every other group type, in order to interact with the content, to join the conversations, you have to join those groups, right? So a public group, I can read the content, but I wouldn't necessarily be able to leave a comment on a post or ask a question in the forums unless I was already a member of that public group. And then, of course, the private groups, I don't even have visibility into what's happening in those groups unless and until I'm a member. Right. So this should be community features that we're all sort of familiar with, and that's sort of just setting the baseline for what we've got. And then you've got the five types of groups that happen underneath this public versus private umbrella that you talked about. And so we're going to sort of drill in on the private type of group in this episode. Right. And so what those private groups really allow is for you to have internal or sort of secluded spaces where you can have conversations before pushing any information out. A great example of this is what we do on our own community is that we have an employees group that nobody else would see unless they were actually an employee of Telligent. And what we do in there is that let's say there's a question asked in, the, in our forums, in a, one of our support forums. We can pull that in and have a conversation around that, reach a consensus on the best way to address that issue, and then push that back out to the public group right? So that we can essentially confer amongst ourselves and then push back that answer. See, that's great. And another use case that I thought about too, when this was explained to me a while back was if you have customers who are your star performers, they basically, you know, when we talk about crowdsourcing and gamification, which we've talked about on the show before, it gives you an opportunity where if you've got excellent engagement, star performers that are in your community that you want to give some sort of award or recognition to, my thoughts immediately went to, wow, if you've got the ability to make a private space, you could create a VIP room, so to speak, where you could offer people who have either achieved a milestone in their community membership or 
you know, have won some sort of prize or something, or they're just your star people, you could give them exclusive access to something. You could get them exclusive connection to some of your developers or designers or whatever it is that is interesting based on whatever your product or service is. This lets you take your gamification and your community stickiness to an entirely new level. So I thought that this piece about the private groups was very interesting. Yeah, that's another great example, Frankie. And and again, that's something that we do on our own community. For example, we have a customer advisory board that not everybody can see. You have to be a special member. You have to have a particular role to be added to the membership of that customer advisory board. So that gives you exclusive access to, for example, suggest new product enhancements to us that are in a space that nobody else is able to participate. What a fantastic use case. Okay, so go on and tell us a little bit more about it. Right. So like I said, these are private spaces and they they really are. And so anything that happens in those private spaces is not going to be visible to anybody else who should not have access to it. This includes even things like search engines. So if there's content in a private group, it will not be indexed either by our internal search engine or any of the external search engines like Google or Bing or anybody else that can scour the community or crawl your community for content. We also exclude the activity from these private groups in any of the aggregated views of content like activity streams or any of the lists that we present and render on a page. So again, we will check who the accessing user is and determine should this person have access to this content? And if not, we just simply won't present it. So what you wind up with is a very tailored and personal experience based on the groups that you belong to. That is fantastic. So when somebody is setting this up, if they have the intelligent community and they want to set up these groups, how hard or easy is it? Is it really hard for them to get this set up? What happens? It's actually really simple. So when you first set up a group, one of the things we ask in the setup wizard is what type of group do you want? And we actually list out the five different types there and give you a description of how each one of those is going to work. And so you can select, say, private unlisted to make it as restrictive as possible, right? So that invitation only group type. Uh, And then you just simply set up the group. And within that setup, you can also determine what sort of content do you want to have in there? Do you want blogs? Do you want forums, wikis, event calendars, media galleries, ideas? So we have those six different content applications, and you can have any combination of those in a group. It's also possible to add and edit any of these along the way. And that includes the privacy type. So one example I like to point to is if you have a beta product or a beta program that you're running, you can set up a private group and invite beta testers, beta users into that private group. But let's say after a a certain amount of time, it's a successful test and you want to make that content public now. Well, that could be as simple as just flipping the switch from private unlisted to a public open group to where now anybody can access the content because that product or that project has become public and it's moved out of the, the beta program. 
This is very useful functionality. So one of the examples that I like to use on the show quite frequently is National Chewing Gum Company. I'm pretty sure there's not really a National Chewing Gum Company, which is why <laughs> I like to use it. And so in this example, if you're a National Chewing Gum Company and you're coming out with your winterberry flavor of gum, but you're not sure, you're not going to roll it out everywhere, you're going to beta test it, and you want to see what people are saying about it, what they think about it, look, feel, whatever. So you could create this private group where only the people that are your VIP customers that chew, you know, a thousand sticks of gum a year or something, I'm making this up, but the thousand stick of gum a year club is able to have early access. So you've got this private group for winterberry flavored gum and you say, okay, guys, come in here and do all of your talking and, and guessing and communicating. So maybe they're having a conversation about flavor and that's in you know, something. And then maybe they've got photos, which is, you know, in the gallery that you have over there. And they're putting this back and forth. So you can look at what they like about it, what, you know, questions that are being answered, which stores is it available, how many sticks of gum are in a package, all of this. And then once you're out of beta with Winterberry, and you've kicked the tires with it, then to your point, it's very easy to then go back and make the content public again. And now the blogs and forums and wikis that you have going through about Winterberry are now flipped to public view, right? That's right. And so back in my marketing days, one of the things, and of course, this is common across a lot of marketing companies or consumer packaged good companies, is that you have these sort of consumer panels, right? And that's exactly what you're talking about, is that you're creating this panel to gather feedback on a particular product or a variation of the product. And that's that's exactly what you're, what, what you're talking about here, what you're describing here. And we can absolutely do that with the use of private groups, but it actually even goes a step further. So let's say that within the National Chewing Gum community, you have a products group. And then underneath that, you have a subgroup for chewing gum and one for bubble gum and one for candy, right? Within that chewing gum group, you could have multiple forums that cover different flavors. Well, let's say that you have that new flavor for Winterberry. You can actually hide that one forum and make it only accessible to your VIPs in an otherwise public group. So this whole idea of privacy extends beyond just the group. You can actually have hidden or private forums within an otherwise public group. That is fantastic because then you're not having to go back and have, if you've just got one place that's walled off in secret, that's all devoted and dedicated to Winterberry with all your content in there, that's one way to do it. But to your point, you could also turn around and do it the other way where maybe the content already is where it naturally would end up when it goes public and live but it's only visible and accessible to those people that have the VIP level access that you've determined it's okay for them to see the content. And then once you're ready to publish it and let it go live, it's already where it would eventually wind up anyway. So there's no moving and rework that has to be done with the content. That's exactly right. And again, it's just a matter of turning switches on or off to make that happen. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, guys, there you have it. Jim Gross has told us about private groups and how they can be used to your benefit for your brand inside the Telligent community. So thank you very much, Jim, for coming on and talking to us all about this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Frankie. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. 
Today's episode was brought to you by craftbeerclub.com. Good people drink good beer. Get the finest craft beers from America's best microbreweries delivered right to your door. They search out exceptional craft beers from around the country and then deliver the monthly beer club selections direct to you or your gift recipient's door. You can choose an ongoing beer club membership or craft beer club gifts to ship monthly, every other month, or even quarterly. This is a fantastic gift for the craft beer enthusiast in your life. Give 1 to 12 shipments and receive up to 3 bonus gifts and an additional $25 bonus with your order. So, head on over to sociallysupportive.com and click the picture for craftbeerclub.com today to learn more. All right, there you have it. Fantastic information about community and why it is a strategic part of your digital and social customer care program. If you don't have it, you should check into it because almost all verticals and companies can benefit from a community like this. Make sure you tune in next time. Until then, and even after then, I am Frankie Soche. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you tomorrow. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Socially Supportive. Want more? Head on over to sociallysupportive.com to join the social pack and find the best tips, tricks, and technology to take your team from okay to outstanding in no time. 